0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. My name is Matthew Kane. Mike Knox will again join us shortly. And what we're trying to do here at the Practicology Podcast is to bridge the gap between Scripture and everyday life. And today's episode is going to be a good example of that. We're going to talk about worship. And what does God want from us in worship? Does it need to be? Is he expecting extraordinary worship? Or does he just want more from our ordinary worship is it extraordinary or is it the extraordinary
1: yes that's right matthew we're talking about worship today and we want to go to a famous passage in romans 12 verses 1
0: to 2. hey great idea because if there was ever a passage that is well fitting for what we want to accomplish at the practicology podcast this is a prime example i mean chapters 1 to 11 of romans are unpacking the doctrine the theology of the gospel. Now we're going to get more into the practical side in chapters 12 to 16, casting a vision of what life looks like when we live out the gospel, when we put that theology into practice. So that transition from the theology of the first 11 chapters to the practical living of the last 5 chapters, that really takes place right here in these opening two verses of chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 where now a lot of us may have been accustomed to the language of the King James version that spoke of our reasonable service, presenting our bodies as a reasonable service, but in the ESV, it says that this is our spiritual worship.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, The word behind the King James service is a Greek word that's referring to a very special kind of service, the, the kind of service that one does in worship. So, Matthew, another translation that really captures this well is the Christian standard Bible. Would you mind just reading our passage to us from that translation? All right, here you go.
0: Therefore, keyword of course, here's the transition. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect Will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So, obviously, the writer's reflecting on Israel's Old Testament worship. People were coming to God in the tabernacle or in the temple, presenting an animal sacrifice to God or a grain sacrifice. Perhaps in the, in the background of these verses, it could be presentation of the Levites. But all of that was part of that Levitical system. And today, obviously, our our worship as Christians is going to look different from that. And now here he appeals to us, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true worship.
1: Yes, this is true, real, genuine worship. Uh, Australian scholar David Peterson has shown that Romans is all about worship. Remember, in the first chapter, we have false worship. We used to worship the creation over the creator. We suppressed the knowledge of the true God and instead worshiped false gods. False worship is the heart of our sinful rebellion against God. It's our chief sin. It draws down the wrath of God upon us. But now in chapter 12, Paul talks about how we can offer true worship. How so? Well, that phrase at the opening says, in view of the mercies of God and the word therefore that you emphasize, Matthew, both of these point back to the gospel theology of the first part of the book, points back to Christ's worship. God put his son forward as a propitiary sacrifice in, in chapter three, a wrath averting sacrifice by his blood. On the basis of Christ's perfect sacrificial worship, God can declare righteous all who trust in Christ. He puts us in a new relationship with himself in Christ where we have peace with God. He gives us his spirit to orient our minds and wills toward him. So because of Christ's perfect worship in his life and on the cross, now we can begin to offer God the true, genuine, real worship that we were always made for.
0: Amen. That's lovely to reflect on Christ's perfect sacrificial worship and when you gave us that title extraordinary worship is this where you're drawing the word extraordinary from you're talking about christ's extraordinary worship
1: yeah that's perceptive matthew that's that's part of it for sure uh think of romans 5 adam does one act of disobedience and we're all plunged into sin and death by contrast christ well it says in verse 19 as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous." This is extraordinary worship indeed. But there's a sense in which Christ's extraordinary worship enables us to offer extraordinary worship. So Matthew, in the verses you read, in, in contrast to the Old Testament worshipers who offered a goat which had to die, we are to offer or present what? Our bodies. Both words deserve emphasis, our
0: bodies as a living sacrifice this is our true worship i think we can all hear the contrast you're bringing out mike you're you're pointing out that new testament worship is not offering someone else's body but our own body to god it's no longer a dead sacrifice but a living one we often talk about giving god our time or offering him our talents and our money and so on why does paul urge us here to offer our bodies
1: well, that's what I want to spend the rest of this episode on. I believe Paul's every word here is meant to shock us and even excite us. He doesn't say lay down your minds on the altar or present your will to God, your temperament. Isn't it strange that he says our bodies? We sometimes feel uncomfortable with other people talking about our bodies. Just, but just think about it for a minute. God wants my body. Why? What does this mean? Well, I think it means two things that will be very interesting for practicologists like us who do and listen to this this podcast who, who desperately want our faith to fill every part of our life. So, two things. First, the fact that he says bodies means our worship is to be extraordinary. Second, it means our worship is to be ordinary, extraordinary. So, I'll explain that in just a bit. Let's start with the first one. The use of the word body here means... Paul's calling us to give extraordinary worship. Um, When he exhorts us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's pleading with us to offer our whole selves, our whole person, right? God's saying, I don't just want your animals, your herd, your wealth, your staff, your your stuff, sorry. I don't just want your Sunday mornings, a half hour of devotions a day, an evening, a week of service. God's saying, I want you. I want yourself.
0: Yeah, well, that is going to be extraordinary worship for sure. and calling us to give him ourselves god is calling us to give him the most precious thing we can give and mike this is uh, likely particularly relevant in our culture today the self is so emphasized today some people talk about radical autonomy or expressive individualism the big me it is a very self-occupied culture and it's the big me that god is calling us to give him you're saying
1: I know. And you use the word radical. I know some people dislike that word and it's likely overused, but this really is radical, extraordinary worship. I love how one preacher puts it. He says, Paul is telling us here to take our hands off our life. We prefer to take our hands off things one by one for God, somewhat reluctantly. Oh, fine. We say, I'll I'll give up my Netflix subscription for you, Lord, or something like that but actually we're to take our hands off our very life, ourself, our plans, our dreams, our ambitions, and so on. That's what it means to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. It is extraordinary worship. But but I want to come quickly to the second thing this means. I said it doesn't just mean extraordinary worship. We're giving not just some part of our possessions, but we're giving ourselves to the Lord. But the second part that I think this is referring to is that our worship is to be ordinary worship, so ordinary that it's extra extraordinary. Because here's the thing. I used to strongly dislike hearing preaching from, from this passage. It seemed like every special Bible conference I went to, at least one speaker would pound away on Romans 12 verses 1 to 2, you know, preaching, consecration. Surrender everything to God, even yourself. Get up on that altar and stop squirming. And, and maybe we can go into this more sometime but either because of my own internal misunderstanding or maybe because sometimes some preachers were maybe a little misleading and unbalanced in some of the ways they handled this text, I would just slump down into into, into my chair. To me, this meant one thing. If I have to offer this extraordinary worship, if my whole life is meant to be on the altar, the flames looking away at me, the knife poised and pricking me, it, it means my whole life has got to be hurting, right? I took it this way. Every single thing I enjoy in my life, it's now out of bounds for me. No joy, no happiness. Give it all to God. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. If you ain't hurting, Mike, you ain't worshiping. (laughs) So this is wrong on so many levels, but I'll just focus on one. While 12 verses 1 to 2 is calling us to extraordinary worship, as we look at the rest of chapters 12 to 16, we are actually struck by how ordinary it is. So ordinary, in fact, that we can call it extraordinary. Back to that word body. Yes, it means offer to God yourself, your whole being. That's extraordinary. What could be costlier to us? But what else does it mean? Hear it again. Offer your bodies. What does that mean? It means our whole bodily existence. One of the great commentators of our day is Doug Mu, and listen to him explain. What this means, he says, Paul uses the word body to focus on the embodied nature of our persons, reminding us that we are physical beings interacting with a material world. Just listen to where Moo goes with this. This is a bit of an extended quote, but hang on. He says, by using this word, the apostle emphasizes the degree to which our worship should involve even the very prosaic parts of life. As we eat our food, we worship God by thanking him for what he has given us honoring him with our conversation and providing for the bodies he has given us. As we sweat on the treadmill, we worship God by seeking to be good stewards of the body he has given us. As we seek to avoid driving with the same egotistic aggressiveness as others, we worship God by displaying the fruit of his spirit. We should do our work to the best of our ability, worshiping God by giving our best to our employers. He adds this, he says, one of the great temptations today is to bifurcate, is to say divorce the spiritual world from the material, to begin thinking that only certain parts of our lives have eternal significance. He says all of our life is to be a continuous worship of the God who created us and redeemed us.
0: Hmm. Well, sweating on the treadmill or in my case the elliptical uh, sounds a bit more like hurting than worshiping to me. I haven't thought of it so much as an act of worship but i appreciate what you're saying and i see where you're going and by using the word body you're saying paul is saying that everything i do in this body every part of our life can be worship even the mundane everyday ish parts extra ordinary worship that's great mike i'm just wondering what if someone pushes back on you a little bit here and says oh let's say i'm just look i'm in i'm in my car i'm in a busy time here with work, I go through the drive through at Subway, grab a sandwich, and I'm munching that while I'm driving to my next appointment. How can you call that worshiping God?
1: Yeah, good good pushback. But I want to say, yes, you can call that worship. So just remember, 12, Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 is the gateway into the final part of Romans. And this final part is pervaded with worship language. Plus, this section is actually bound by worship talk. So I don't have the time to, to show this, but 12 verses 1 to 2 all the way to 1513 is a section bookended by worship terms. In other words, everything in this section is part of Paul's vision for for what a life looks like when people present their bodies to God. And in chapter 14, Paul actually talks about eating. There's conflict between Jews and Gentile Christians in the church. Some think they should keep living by the Old Testament food laws. Others uh, believe they have freedom to eat pork to their heart's content. And here's what Paul says in verse six. He says, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So say you have a Gentile in Rome named Alexander. And before he gets saved, Alex loves a good bacon bap. Here's a, a little shout out to our UK listeners. And, uh, and he enjoys a bacon bap as an unbeliever. He doesn't, in the words of Romans 1, give thanks to God, or not to the true God at least. But then Alex gets saved. Now he's a Christian. He knows the true God through Christ. He no longer lives his life trusting in himself, but by faith in, in the Lord Jesus. And he walks past the, the little butcher shop. He he's, It smells so good. He buys himself a bacon bap and mm. thanks the God he's come to know and tucks in. What Amen. does Paul say? That's part of his worship. He eats in honor of the Lord. Meanwhile, another Christian is a Jew, maybe Prisca. She's still not comfortable eating such things. Uh Her conscience won't let her. She walks past the same vendor, Mm, smells just as good for her, but she smiles to herself and keeps going. Why? Out of honor for the Lord. Both, Paul says, have worshiped or honored God with their bodies. And next day, if Alex sees Prisca, at the same place, same time, and knows her situation, he might be the one to smile to himself and keep on going too because he loves Prisca. She's his sister in the Lord and he doesn't want to stumble her and offend her. And and if he does things like that in his bodily life on earth, Paul says of him in verse 18 of chapter 14, once again, using worship language, Paul says, whoever thus serves Christ, like Alex just did, is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, worship doesn't always mean we do things we would never dreamed of doing before we got saved. It very often means doing the exact same things, same activities, but now doing it as a Christian, enjoying it and thanking God for it as one who knows him. God always intended for us to enjoy his creation. And because of salvation, we can finally offer him the everyday, ordinary worship he always wanted, thanking him for a
0: sandwich. Amen. Great. And you've picked up and explained that food and eating example very well. Hey, Romans gives us uh, other examples as well to illustrate that our whole life can be worshiped. Chapter 13, when we submit to God's appointed governing authorities and pay our taxes later on in that chapter, when we live out our sexuality according to God's design as revealed in scripture, that's also acts of worship, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. 12 verse 1 isn't the first time Paul has instructed the believers to present their bodies to God. In chapter six, he he does it. And he says they are to present themselves to God and offer the various parts of their body as instruments for righteousness. That's verse 13 in chapter six. Our sexual members are part of the body God wants us to present to him. And when we live on earth in such a way that our bodily appetites are in submission to his will, we are worshiping him in our bodies, eating, paying taxes, saying no to the temptation of fornication, and more positively, when a married couple make love. Again, you can compare this to chapter one, where sexual sin is is part of our false worship or is the consequence of our false worship when
0: we were not saved. Right. That's good. That's very good. One danger I wonder here, could someone Come away from what you're saying, okay all of my life can be worship and I'm worshiping God already in the ordinary things of life. I'm worshiping God so much now I realize why do I even need to be a part of a church then? I mean this worship is something I'm doing in all of my life all the time when I'm eating bacon sandwiches, when I'm paying taxes, I guess I don't really need to meet with the church to worship.
1: Good, good objection, Matthew that's that's helpful. but it would be a big misunderstanding as big as the one I made. And I've already mentioned at the beginning. I mean, just look at the verses immediately after 12, verses 1 to 2. Paul says in 1 to 2, offer your body. Then in 3 to 8 and beyond, he starts talking about the body, which is the church. Part of our whole life bodily worship of God is using our gifts in the local church to serve and build up Christ's body. But here again, just see how different this is from what I used to think. I used to think, well, if I'm offering my body, it's got to be it's got to be hurting, right? I'm on the altar. It's it's got to be constant sacrifice. I can never do the things I enjoy. But if you look at verses 3 to 8, what's Paul telling them? He says, "Don't think too highly of yourself. You're just one member in the body. Do what God has gifted you to do." So I'll, I'll quote a bit. It says, "Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy is your gift, then do it in proportion to our faith. If your gift is service, Do it in your serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice doesn't mean constant hurting. Sometimes I'm called to endure hard things, no doubt, and to do hard things for the Lord, sure, but often it just means serving the Lord according to the way he has made me and gifted me. It means doing the work I really enjoy doing. Does that make sense, Matthew?
0: Yeah, I think it does. I mean, your points on the church show us that actually what church presents us, what it provides for us is another facet to worship God as we serve one another. So true worship for Christians means presenting our bodies to God. And on the one hand, yeah, that is extraordinary worship. We're called to give our whole selves to the Lord. And on the other hand, it you can maybe consider, well, it's it's actually only ordinary worship, but it's extraordinary worship. And by using the word body, Paul is is emphasizing every part of our bodily existence on earth. Hey Mike, that would even include you and I recording this episode today. That is part of our worship.
1: Yes, yes. And and listeners, you wanting to hear scriptural teaching means listening right now is part of your worship. In fact, we focused on the word body in this passage, but in verse two we encounter the word Mind. How do we worship God in our bodies? How do we know what his will is regarding food and sex and work and government and gifts in the church and how we're to relate to save people and unsaved people and so on? And and how do we get the power to do what he wants us to do in these areas? Well, verse two explains. It says, this is, this is how you do it. He says, by the spirit's renewing of your minds. So remember verse one talked about the mercies of God pointing us back to the gospel in chapters one to 11. And so as we study and think about Christ in the gospel, the spirit renews our minds. Remember chapter eight, Christians have their minds set on the things of the spirit. You can go back and listen to episode 17 if, if you haven't yet. It talks about that. So as the spirit renews our minds with the truth of the gospel, we discern what the lord wants in our lives regarding life in the church living in the world at work at play we discern his ways for life and we begin to delight in his ways for life and when we walk in those ways we are offering our bodies to him as a living 24 hour seven day a week sacrifice what kind of sacrifice a sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Brothers and sisters,
0: this is real, true worship. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. And hey, maybe listeners, maybe you're listening to this while you are on the elliptical or the treadmill, or maybe you're driving your truck around for work, or maybe you're on your way to class, or you're on your way to drop something off to a neighbor in need. And maybe listening to this is part of your strategy as a Christian to fight off temptation that you're struggling with to visit some dark spots on the web or even just in your own mind. In any case, praise God that in all of these activities in which you're engaged in right now, you can bring glory to God. You can do something that brings him great delight. You can worship him in that activity. I don't think I'm having a a bacon bap for supper. I think we're going to have pizza actually shortly here at supper time as we're recording this there may be bacon on it and i think after that we might go for a little bike ride and i'm going to do both of those things mike to the glory of god that will be part of my worship today how does that sound to you
1: that sounds great matthew i think if i live near halifax where you are i would be trying to pick up donairs for everyone i don't know what's in store for supper here but i too will bow my head with my family and give praise and thanks to god and call that part of my worship.
0: Super. Thanks so much, Mike. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. And we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Practicology Podcast. Have a great day.
1: Yeah, have a great day, everyone.